0: everybody doing this morning? Doing good, all right. That's what I like to see a little life in the room. Good. That's good. Because today we have a very important topic that I need everyone's undivided attention for here today because today I'm going to challenge the notion that you are not as smart as you think you are. What I want to talk about today is a topic that on the surface you might say, "Uh, I don't understand this stuff, and I don't know this stuff, and I'm not like a seminarian or a theology student, but I believe that what I'm going to talk about today isn't as complicated as it may seem, and we're going to talk about the Bible, and we're going to talk about what the Bible is and what's inside the Bible and how to understand the Bible. And as you see in the, in the title of your handout there today is how to find, are you ready? Joy in the Bible. How to find joy in the Bible. How to turn, here's what I want to do up front. Okay, I'm going to tell you the goal of today. Is I want to turn one sentence into a different sentence. I want to turn I have to read my Bible to I get to read my Bible. Not even want, but get. Okay, I want to change have to to get to. And most of us say I have to read my Bible. And that's good and that's not a bad thing. But I want us to say I get to read my Bible. And we'll do that when we learn to find joy and enjoyment and satisfaction from the Word of God. Here's our theme verse for today. This is our memory verse for this week. Let's read it all together so I know that you are awake with me. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Jeremiah 15, 16. This is the hardest memory verse we've had so far. If If you've been here since the beginning of the series... We've been talking about how the word of God is food for our spirits. That was the first week. And we talked about how man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we said that we do a very good job of feeding our bodies, but we do a very bad job sometimes of feeding our souls inside. And many of our bodies saying, stop feeding me. All right. And many of our spirits are saying, please feed me more. And we do the exact opposite. Okay, we continue to feed this and we don't feed this. And the first week we talked about how the Bible is the word of God. We saw the Bible is not just a regular book. It is the word of God and it is given to us to be food for our spirits. The second week we looked at not what the Bible is, but what the Bible does, the role of the Bible. And what we saw is that the Bible was given to us. If you remember, the memory verse from that week it was from John chapter eight, verse thirty-one and thirty-two. That you shall know the truth. So that if you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed. And if you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we saw how that when we are in the Bible and we're regular in the Bible, we will remove the lies and replace with truth. We will remove the fear and replace with faith. And we will remove the confusion and the darkness and we replace with clarity about what God wants me to do. Then after that, we looked at how to read the Bible. And the attitude that we need to read the Bible, and we agreed the number one thing is we need an attitude of submission, all right? And that was when we said our verse together was open the eyes of my heart, I'm sorry, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. And then last week we talked about how to do that, like the process. And we talked about three ways to go deeper in the word of God, all right? That when we read, we wanna do three things. Observation, interpretation, application. Observation is asking What does it say? Interpretation is asking, what does it mean? Application is asking, what am I going to do about it? All right, And we said that when we take every passage through those three, then the word of Christ will dwell in us richly. Now what I'm trying to get to today is I'm trying to get to this point where you don't say, I have to read my Bible today. I want to get rid of that. I don't ever want you to say, I have to read my Bible ever again. I want you to wake up and say, I get to read my Bible today. Lofty goal but I think we can do it. First, let's see why it is that we don't say that sentence, usually in the morning when we wake up. I found there's three groups of people when it comes to your relationship with the Bible. Every single person here, for the most part, falls in one of these three. Group one is, I don't read. Group two is, I read, but I don't understand. And group three is, I understand, but I don't obey. Let's take it one at a time, okay, and do this kind of sequentially. First, group number one, I don't read. My hope is that by this point in time in this series, I've changed your mind. Or I should say God has changed your mind. And you've realized that the Bible is what you need for your spirit. And even though you don't enjoy it, and even though you don't like it, you see the value in what the Bible can do for you. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says it very nicely. It says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. When, when we had our first child, okay, when Michael was born, all right, he, like, was eating, but he didn't want to eat, um, like, he liked nursing, but he didn't want to make the shift into not nursing, into other kinds of foods, and because of that, like, he wasn't gaining weight, because he was trying to stick with the nursing, and at the beginning, I was, you know, obviously, there's cost benefits to continuing nursing, okay, so I wasn't too, you know I mean like I was fine I was content you know as long as as long as he seemed happy like we were happy like everyone was happy but then the doctor said no like you're going to stunt his growth if he doesn't eventually you know like eat regular people food So what did my wife and I do when we went to him and he refused the regular food What did we do We forced him to eat the regular food And he said no I don't want We said it doesn't matter if you don't want it don't want you can eat the regular food because it's what's best for you and you need it to grow and if you're in group one and you say, no, I don't like the Bible, then I say to you, go read the Bible. And at the beginning of your relationship with the Bible, you have to start with persistence. Like group number one, you need to just push yourself to do it. And I agree that I don't want over the course of the next 50 years to always be forcing food down my kid's throat. But at the beginning, you got you to kind of force it. Anytime you wanna start any new habit, at the beginning it's not gonna be easy. It's not gonna be natural. You have to push yourself a little bit and if you're in group one, my advice to you is persistence. Keep at it, push yourself and then hopefully you'll be able to get to a higher level. Now let's skip group number two for right now because that's the one I'm gonna spend the most time on. Let's go to group number three. Group number one said I don't like to read. Group number three said I read and I understand but I don't wanna obey. These are people who not with a knowledge issue, but a lifestyle issue. And group number three needs submission. We spoke about this a little bit a couple weeks ago. Group number three is the group that reads and understands, but they don't like what they read. So you know what happens when the Bible keeps telling you one thing, but your lifestyle is something different? Something's got to give. Either you got to stop reading or you got to change your life. Which of the two is easier? Which is easier? Change my life or stop reading the Bible? Stop reading the Bible. That's why many of the people in this group, you read for a little bit, and yeah, I'm spiritual and stuff, and then the Bible comes at you, so you say, okay, let me just read a different passage. But it's the same author of the different passage. So he comes at you here, so you try to go around here, uh, you try to go all up different places, and in the end, the Bible stands as a wall, and either you obey or you end up stop reading. Mark Twain, the, um, the author said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that give me a problem. He said, my problem is the parts of the Bible that I do understand. You see that? It's not the Bible that we don't understand that's the problem. It's the Bible that we do understand that's the problem, because many of us don't want to obey. If you're in this category, I want to point out a couple verses to you. Proverbs 16, 25 says, there is a way that seems right to a man. And let me emphasize, seems right to a man but its end is the way of death. Those who do not accept the authority of God's word, what they're in essence saying is, I worship the authority of my mind. Like my mind is the highest authority, and if the Bible agrees with my mind, Bible good. If the Bible disagrees, Bible bad. Because my mind is the highest thing. That's why when the Bible says, don't kill, okay, this is good. Uh, Don't steal, this is very good. But then what happens when the Bible says, love your enemy? What happens when the Bible says, forgive who hurts you seven times, 70 times? What happens when the Bible says, not even a hint of sexual immorality among you? Who's right and who's wrong? And if you're in this category, you think that you are doing what is reasonable and what is logical. But I would like to show you that you who think that your logic is the highest thing in the whole wide world, I would like to show you that you are being extremely illogical with that decision that you're making. You know why? Because I want to tell you two things about your logic. Number one, you're not as smart as you think you are. And number two, you're not as unbiased and objective as you think you are. And I'll prove it to you. You who say that if it doesn't make sense to me, it can't be right. That's what a lot of people say. So are you saying that there's nothing that doesn't make sense to you that could be right? Well, when I was younger, it made sense to me to eat donuts for breakfast. Made perfect sense. Felt good, felt energy, felt happy. Made perfect sense. But now that I've gotten older, I've come to the realization that the truth is, it's actually not good for me to eat donuts for breakfast. When I was in seventh grade, I had a conversation with my math teacher. I was in algebra, I had a conversation with my math teacher. It went like this. Algebra doesn't make sense. And I was fully convinced that algebra didn't make sense. And at the time, it didn't make sense. It made zero sense. But you know what I discovered? My sense ended up changing. And algebra eventually made more sense. So you who say that if it doesn't make sense, it can't be true, Well, your sense is growing and your sense is changing. Does that mean that truth is changing as we understand more and as we become more mature? Does that mean truth is changing? Maybe not. Secondly, you're not as objective as you think you are. And find me one court in the entire universe that will allow you to judge yourself. That will allow you to walk in and say, okay, I'm on trial here, but I'm also the judge, okay? And I think what I did was totally fine. Can't work that way. You cannot be the defendant and the judge at the same time. You need someone outside of you to judge you and it's the same thing with our lives. We cannot determine what's right and what's wrong in our lives because we have a vested interest in it and we are very self-serving and we are very biased and we are very much unobjective or not objective, whatever that word might be. Said another way, you can't have the inmates running the asylum. You can't have fourth graders determining what's right and what's wrong on the fourth grade test. You need to have someone outside in order to judge objectively. The book of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25, talks about one of the darkest times in the period of Israel's history. And it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. There was no authority. There was no objective, standard authority. And because of that, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So there's a young girl who in her eyes, and her mind, it's right to sleep with her boyfriend. It makes sense. It's right to her. Makes perfect sense. But then later on in life, she realizes, hey, wait a minute. Actually, that was the worst thing that I ever did because that actually took away my ability to have true intimacy with my boyfriend. And for us to have intimacy when we got married was taken away when that happened. So what I thought was right turned out not to be right. There are parents all over who think... In their own own eyes, it's right to yell at their kids for not cleaning their room every single day and to spank their kids and to go crazy on their kids. And in their eyes, it's the right thing to do. Maybe later on, many years later, they discover that was not the right thing to do. Many times it's right in our eyes to hold on to that grudge. Why should I let go of that grudge? It's right in our eyes. But maybe later on we'll realize that it wasn't right objectively and in an unbiased way. So group number one, Who doesn't read, persistence. Group number three, who understands but doesn't obey, needs submission. Now, I want to spend the rest of the time today talking about group number two. Because group number two is where I would say the majority of us fall into. All right, Would fall into the category of, we read the Bible, but we don't really understand what the Bible is saying. And if you're in group two, you can't really stay in this group very long. Because my guess is that anyone who's in group one, was probably in group two, but never got out of group two, so I ended up falling back into group one. And if you are in this point where you're reading and you're forcing yourself to read, but you're not understanding, it's just a matter of time before you end up back in group one, which is don't read. So what do we do to understand? Well, let me give you an example of my lovely wife, Marianne, several years ago when we first got married. We got married back in the Stone Ages. All right, back before there was something called DVR. And this affected us tremendously on Sunday afternoons during the fall because of football season. So for me, we used to use something called, young kids may want to write this one down, this was called a VCR. Y'all know what a VCR is? okay? I remember very clearly having to record the entire game on the VCR, and then i come home from church, three o'clock, four o'clock, but you can't start watching because you need to let it finish recording, Okay, and then when you have to wait till like five o'clock because you have to factor it could go to overtime or something like that, and then you have to wait until five o'clock, and then you go back to one o'clock and you start watching. Football was an all-day event, okay, at our house, because of Marianne, (laughs) because of me. (laughs) So because of that, Marianne, okay, she's the sweetest person in the world, and she wants to like me to be happy. Okay, so she wanted to, like, get into my world. So she said, I'm going to learn about football. And she said, like, I never wa- she never watched football in her life. She do not understand anything. But she said, because it's important to me, that she wanted to get into football. At first, I thought this was a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> because I said, this is great. Now, I will not have to say, like, leave her to watch football. Now, and I had in my mind, okay, all guys, we have, when we get married, we have this thing in our mind, or we dream, okay, that my wife is going to, like, want to watch football, and she's going to be more into football than me. And then we're going to do, like, like, fantasy football together, and we're going to talk about football over breakfast dinner, and this is going to be the greatest marriage we've ever had in the whole wide world. <laughs> then we find out that that's not really the truth. <laughs> so she said, I want to get into football. And I said, this is great. I want to teach her about football. But we had, like, a problem right off the bat. No offense to my beautiful wife right there. (laughs) She wasn't willing to invest the time necessary to learn the game properly. Okay, this was my assessment of, I had in my mind, like, reading, okay, studying, like, tests, okay? She had in her mind questions during the game. (laughs) So you see how we had a conflict right off the bat. I had in my mind hours of silent study. She had in her mind lots of discussion during the game. Luckily for us, $1,200 worth of marriage counseling later, we came out okay. (laughs) No, no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. During that time, Marianne kept saying that football, it makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. And I tried to explain to her first down and if you, first and 10, and then if you get five yards, it's now second and five, like logic, it makes perfect sense. And then if you get a penalty, this and this would happen, and this would subtract this, and then a field goal's worth three, and then I try to explain it, she kept it, doesn't make sense, doesn't make sense, doesn't make sense. Is it true that football doesn't make sense? No, of course not. God, heavens forbid, okay? But it's true, don't take any offense, Marian, okay? Don't take any offense, I'm just using this example that in her mind, it didn't make sense. But that doesn't mean it doesn't make sense, it just means that, sorry, (laughs) her underdeveloped athletic football mind, sorry, 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 I'm just using it to prove a point. Just using it to prove a point, sorry, sorry, sorry. (laughs) In her underdeveloped mind, it didn't make sense yet. That's a perfect example of how we are with the Bible. We read the Bible, that doesn't make sense. No, to the rest, to many people, this makes sense. But just because you don't see it, it doesn't make sense to you, it just means that our mind may not have gotten to the point where we can understand it yet. Just like I said, with the seventh grader, with algebra. With the third grader, with donuts for breakfast. With Marianne for football. And with, I don't want to call out Marianne. All, many people here today, with football. But for us educated people, football makes perfect sense. For the high class for the high class, the highly educated people, football is the, is the game of, of, of choice, okay? Because it's an intricate ballet. okay? It's a ballet. It's artistry in motion. So if you're this way with the Bible, I read, but I don't understand. what you need man, is you need patience. Like I want to preach to you patience. I want to say to you that the Bible does make sense. I promise you. But I'm telling you, I'm the first one to admit. Me here, I'm the first one. There are many passages I read in the Bible that I don't understand. Even just uh, last week, we got together, like a uh, the, the, like, group of us got together, people who like, I respect and Bible people like me, and we were talking about a passage in the Bible, and three of us couldn't understand what it means. And I'm a priest, and, and they are very smart people, and none of us could understand what it means. Just because I don't understand, like there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't understand what this means, but I'm not gonna quit on it. Because I know that there is sense in it. And there's not just sense, there is what? Read it with me again. We're going to ingrain this one in our head. Jeremiah 15. There is your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. If Marianne would have stuck with football, man, she'd have found the joy and rejoicing of her heart. (laughs) Right, gentlemen? And I'm telling you, if you stick with the Bible, you will find the sweetest words on the planet but you got to stick with it and you got to fight through it sometimes. And sometimes you're not going to understand a thing. You got to keep on reading because the bottom line is if you're reading and not enjoying, you will read for a little bit, but I promise you, you will stop because you can do it for a short term, maybe a few more weeks, but there's going to come a point in time where you're going to stop reading the Bible because it's not an enjoyable experience to you. The only way to make it long lasting is to learn how to enjoy the Bible. So that's our topic for today. How can we understand the scripture so that we can enjoy the scripture? Before I get into the how, like one like assumption, or one not even assumption, like one truth we need to agree on, one principle, I should say. Agree on this principle, and then we can move on with our discussion. And that principle is this, that every verse in the Bible, every verse in the Bible has a correct meaning, has one correct meaning. Meaning, not many meanings, one meaning, one correct interpretation. Now I know as soon as I say that, you say, hey, wait a minute, doesn't the Bible mean different things to different people? Don't confuse interpretation with application. The Bible means one thing because the meaning is based on the speaker. When I'm saying certain words, I'm only meaning one thing, like one main meaning, like I mean one thing. You as the multiple hearers can apply it in different ways, but the application being many doesn't mean that the interpretation is many. So when Jesus said something or when Moses said something or when Peter said something, he meant one thing and that one thing can be applied in many different ways. If you're living in the first century versus if you're living in the 21st century, if you're a stay at home mom versus you are a uh, surgeon working throughout the night, or if you are a young girl or an uh, older lady, like the application, I agree as many applications as there are hearers, but meaning there can only be one meaning. Why this is important. Second Peter chapter one, verse 20. St. Peter says, knowing this first, no prophecy of scripture is of private interpretation For prophesying never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This is important for us to understand that when God speaks, he means something. And there's a right meaning. Because I'll tell you what's not right. When we think that, okay, so I'll tell you a story about me. And I'm sure you can relate to this story. I remember there was a time when I was uh, serving as a missionary in Africa, and we were a group. And we'd serve as missionaries, all right? Every morning we'd take quiet time. And a quiet time would usually be like two hours. I know, that sounds like, i believe me, I don't do two-hour quiet times now, okay? But at the time, you're in Africa, you got, I mean, you have the free time. So it would be every day, usually like six to eight or five to seven in the morning, each one take a corner, all right? And they would pray, read their Bible, whatever it is, write in their journal, whatever it was. And then we get together later and share. What was the most annoying thing about getting together later and share? You know there's times where you're reading the Bible, and like I said, you're not like getting anything out of it and you're like, really want it, but you're just not. And then you look over at that person. You know that person. And they're just writing away in their journal, and they're just in heaven and lying. And then you get together and share, and you're like, well, you know, I didn't really understand anything. And they're like, oh, I took six pages of notes in my journal from this passage, and you just want to choke them. (laughs) Because you think to yourself that they have some key to unlock the meaning, and I'm just sitting here in the dark like, like a schmuck. And how come that like something's wrong with me and I can't understand and they find all this stuff and for me, the Bible doesn't mean anything but for them, it means something. I'm here to tell you, leave that person aside. (laughs) Get rid of that person. The Bible has one meaning. The Bible has one meaning. No prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation because the one who spoke it is one. And to say that, that it means different things is to say that different people speaking it. One speaker, one meaning, multiple applications. Why I'm saying this is very important, because how do we get to the correct interpretation of the Bible? That's what I'm trying to get to. If we agree that it has a meaning, then we have, like I said, an objective, like it means something. Now it's not just like everyone with their own whatever they want to make it mean. No, there's a right meaning and there's wrong meanings. How can we find that right meaning so that we can enjoy the Bible and understand it. There are two sources of correct interpretation for the scriptures. Two sources that we can turn to. And the first source is the church. And I want to tell you that you cannot understand the Bible apart from the church and vice versa. You can't know the church apart from the Bible. You can't separate the Bible from the church. And the only way to truly understand the Bible is is to understand it through the lens or the context of the church. Why? Think about it this way. Let's say you're an explorer, right? It's the year 2014. So you say, I want to explore new land. I want to discover new stuff. You want to, you know, whatever, discover whatever. First thing that you're gonna do if you're smart is you're gonna pull out a map. And you're gonna look at that map and you're gonna see what the people who have gone before you have discovered. So, a guy named Lewis and a buddy named Clark discovered a little river here called the Mighty Mississippi. And um, um, Ponce de Leon discovered the Fountain of Youth, is that right? And then Magellan discovered the GPS, okay, whatever he discovered. Okay, people have gone before us and they've discovered stuff. So if I'm gonna start exploring and I'm gonna walk through this country, I'm gonna look at the experience of the people who have gone before me. But I would be a fool to completely negate that and then walk up to a river and say, I discovered a river. Look, I discovered a river and no one ever knew before. Well, you say no one knew before because you look at the map. This country is 300 years old and it's safe to say we've discovered all the rivers. It's safe to say we discovered most of the mountains, trees, all those things have been discovered. How long Christianity been around? Roughly 2,000 years. And it's safe to say that the revelation that God wanted to reveal to his people has been discovered by people who have gone before us and has been written down in the scriptures, but more than in the scriptures, in the church. And then when we know the church and we know what God is teaching us through the church, what the church is giving to us, then we have the map. And now we can truly enjoy the land and we can benefit from being there because we know the circumstances and the surrounding environment. This verse in Jude chapter 1, verse 3, it says, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Once for all delivered means that what we believe is that God gave the entire faith, okay, on the day of Pentecost, we always look at Pentecost as like the completion of our faith, okay, so in that first century, in the day of Pentecost, he revealed everything to his apostles, everything to his disciples. They had it all right there. And then they documented it. They wrote scriptures. But they also wrote things that may not be in the scriptures. They wrote things that are in the life of the church. Okay, the prayers of the church, the teachings of the church, the hymns of the ter- church, the rituals of the church. These things teach us what God wanted to reveal to man, but he didn't necessarily write it in the Bible. So for me to walk and, like I said, think that, okay, the Bible says this and these people say this, but no, I actually discovered a new meaning that the church doesn't know about. Like for me to say I discovered something new in the Bible is a very arrogant statement. Would y'all agree? It's very arrogant for me to say that 2,000 years of people have walked the face of this earth, but they didn't discover something that I discovered. I've been a Christian for 15 minutes and I discovered something that 2,000 years people was hidden from people. It's very important for us to not have this mindset to think that we discovered something new. No, first source is we submit like the church. It helps us to understand the scripture. The second source of correct interpretation, and I know it sounds kind of like a circular reference, is the rest of the Bible. The best way to understand the Bible is the Bible. Like the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And the best way to understand one section of the Bible is to read another section of the Bible. Think of the Bible like a movie. Imagine you go see a movie. And you walk in, somewhere in the middle, long two-hour movie, you walk in somewhere in the middle, you watch for about 10 minutes, then you walk out and say, that didn't make any sense. And you come back in 30 minutes later, and you watch another three-minute clip. And you come back and say, it doesn't make any sense. Is it that the movie doesn't make sense? Or is the problem that you didn't watch the whole movie? That's how we read the Bible sometimes. We just read a little piece, that doesn't make any sense. And then we read a little piece, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, because you you, you, got to read the whole book. And if you don't read the whole book, you can't read half the book and say, man, uh, the author didn't tie up any of the loose ends in that book. That's because you didn't get to the end of it. And if you get to the end of it, if you read from start to finish, and you read the whole thing, you see that it is one complete story, but any one section of it is not complete in and of itself. We need to understand the Bible in order to understand the Bible. We need to increase our knowledge of the Bible as a whole, like the big picture Bible, in order to appreciate and understand any one section of the Bible. To show you how we are lacking as a country, as a nation, in our, in our Bible knowledge. Jay Leno, one time on his show, wanted to like, test the people's knowledge of the Bible. And he asked them, he said, name one of the Ten Commandments. Name one of the Ten Commandments. And just like this, a hush fell over the crowd. And then one guy shouted out, God helps those who help themselves. (laughs) That's not in the Bible. And it's definitely not a commandment. In this country, 80% of the people in this country say they believe that the Bible is the word of God. And did you know, that less than 10% of the people in this country can name four out of the Ten Commandments? 80% say, yes, this is the Word of God. This is the most important book ever. And less than 10% of the people can name four out of the Ten Commandments. And did you know, these are true stats. Like, I'm I'm not making this stuff up. 50% of Americans could not identify the first book in the Bible. 50% of Americans tell you, I don't know what the first book is. And this is the one... 14% of Americans think that Joan of Arc was the wife of Noah. (laughs) I'm serious. These are real statistics. It's going to be tough to enjoy the scripture if you think Noah and Joan are part of the same family. (laughs) So what I want to do is quickly, not calling anyone in this room a dummy, But do a dummy's guide to the Bible. What I mean a dummy's guide to the Bible is, again, we look at it so much in pieces that we don't see the big picture. I want to take a big picture view of the Bible and understand the Bible as a whole. Because if you don't understand, like, again, once you read the whole story or you watch the whole movie, then you say, I want to go back and see that scene again, you know, where this. and, And then you can understand that scene. And then you say, well, I want to watch this one a few more times because now I see this. Connected to this. But I didn't know until I got here and I saw the real killer was. You know what I'm saying? So let's do a dummy's guide to the Bible. And look at the Bible at that 10,000 foot level. The Bible is a story. And if I had to describe what the Bible is at its root, the Bible is simply a story that describes God's relationship to man. That's it. It's a story about God's relationship to man. And if you remember at the first week when I was speaking about uh, the Bible and science and creation, all this kind of stuff, the Bible was not meant to be a science book. That's why, like we talk about, like you talk look at the beginning, okay? God created this, God created this, God created this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah God, created, God created, God created, God created. And then it gets a God-created man, and then it takes its time. Because the other stuff is just an intro. And the Bible was never meant to be a story about how the universe came into being. And some people get all worked up about this. The Bible says one day and two day and all that stuff. Look, the Bible wasn't meant to be a a, a science book. And we don't know how long from day one to day two. And yeah, it could be a billion years or it could be a thousand, I don't know, I don't care. The Bible wasn't meant to tell us how the world was created. The Bible was meant to tell us how God relates to man. And anything in the context of God's relationship to man is 100% accurate. And anything outside of that, the Bible wasn't given to be a history book about when was this created and when did the dinosaurs, all that stuff. stuff, You have to take it in terms of what it was meant to be about. And story, it's the original love story. Before Hollywood started love stories, the Bible is the original love story. Because the Bible has, like any good story, you need a good guy. Who's the good guy? God. You need a bad guy. Who's the bad guy? devil and then you need a damsel in distress right you gotta have a love story you gotta have a good guy and a bad guy you gotta have a beautiful woman who's the beautiful woman us mankind even though she wasn't beautiful for very long but believe that every verse in the scripture you must understand in the in context of the relationship between these three entities every verse in scripture is, uh, is about the relationship between these three entities. Could be about any two of the three of them. God, devil, and man. So that's why when you read in the Bible, like we'll go through some passages from the Bible, about like Genesis chapter one, and you read the story of creation. It's not a science book. It's not a story of, of how was the earth created. And ex- it's not meant to be that. It's meant to be a story about how God prepared a home for his beautiful bride that god was building a home god wanted to marry this bride and god was building a home now read it in that context then god said let us make man in our image according to our likeness let him have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air over the cattle over the earth over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created the male and female he created them then god blessed them and god said to them be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth and subdue it. Don't read this as a history book. Don't read it as a science book. Read it as a love story of God is saying, I created everything for you. Now I want you. Fill it, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food. I don't read this as a story of creation. I read this as a love story about God loved man so much and prepared the entire universe for him and said, what do you want? You want seeds, you got seeds. You want fish, you got fish. You want birds, you you got birds. Whatever it is you want. And God like worked overtime to prepare the beautiful home so he could carry his bride into that home. And when he carried the bride in his home, he said, to live in my house, there's only one rule, is don't eat that fruit. And if you don't eat that fruit, we will live happily ever after and that's the way the Bible was supposed to end. It was supposed to start and end with man living happily ever after with the, g- the good guy, with the damsel in distress. Good guys live happily ever after forever. But that'd be kind of a boring movie, wouldn't it? So there has to be some drama. And the drama appears a couple chapters later when the bad guy enters the story. Dun, dun, dun. The bad guy walks in and the bad guy is the devil. And it says in Genesis 3:1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the story goes on. He convinces her to eat of the tree. And then she convinces Adam, okay? And then they have all kinds of problems and bad stuff happens. Now, why, again, if you don't understand the context, why the rule of you're not allowed to eat? And how come when she ate? And how come... You you, do get into the uh, here. It's not a rule. We don't look at sin as a rule that was broken. We look at sin as Eve. Why did you talk with the enemy of your husband? Like God and man married and you knew that God had one enemy and the enemy was the serpent and the enemy was that guy. He hated your husband. The problem wasn't, I I truly believe this. The problem wasn't that she ate. The problem, if I'm the husband, why are you talking with the enemy? Like, forgive me, my wife, I see her, I have this nemesis who hates my guts, and and I see my my wife having lunch with him. Excuse me. Now it's not a rule that was broken. It's a betrayal. It's a relationship that was broken. And that's what man did. Man knew that God's enemy was the devil. And the devil was just going to say lies. Say, you trust him? No, nah, he's bad. No, nah, he's not taking care of you. No, nah, no, nah, nah, he's not of your best interest. And man befriended the enemy of God. When that happens, and then man acts on that, only one thing, an honorable husband could only do one thing when the woman does this. What can the honorable husband do? What God did in Genesis three twenty three, even though it broke God's heart said, therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Parents, who hurts more when you kick your kid out of the house, you or them? No parent wants to kick his kid out of the house. No husband wants to lose the wife that he loves. But if the wife behaves this way, if the children behave this way, there's no other option. If the child is going to curse the father, spit in the father's face and hang out with the father's enemy. If the wife is going to befriend the enemy of the husband, then an honorable husband, even if he doesn't want to, for the sake of his own honor, must remove. Genesis three, not a sin, a relationship that was broken. And then the second this happened, okay, now we're going to fast forward through the rest of the Bible for the most part. The second this happened, something began. A process began. You had man and God who were separate. Now, man was not living in the garden. So therefore, man began to chase God in order to get back in the garden, right? That's the way the story should be. That man made a mistake, so man tries to make it up to God. That's how the story goes? The story is the exact opposite. That God, even though he's in the garden, chases man who walked out of the garden. Like it should be the opposite. It should be man is chasing God. But it's not because God is the one who's initiating the whole process and he pursues his wife to bring her back. Problem is, once the wife, mankind is the wife, has left the garden and has broken the communion with God, all kinds of problems happen in the world. You see, the second this happens, Genesis 3, what happens in Genesis 4? You got two boys, Cain and Abel, and they, one kills the other one. Where'd this murder come from? Because once there was separation, there was no more communion with God. Once the wife was outside the husband's house, the wife went crazy, okay? And she wasn't living the way she was meant to live. She was not meant to function outside of this relationship. So all of a sudden, starts murdering. Genesis chapter uh, five, you see the Tower of Babel. And you see them, pride start to show up. And arrogance start to show up. And then Genesis chapter six, you see the, uh, Noah and Ark. And you see the immorality flowing all around. Why? Because man can't function outside of God. Man cannot function outside of God. Man thinks he can, but the more ma- man tries, the more he realizes he cannot function outside of God, outside of communion with God. This is not how he was meant to live. So what God does is, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. This is where now you have the good guy, this bad guy steals the queen, and now she is living in captivity, enslaved to the bad guy. So what does the good guy do? He puts on his Robin Hood outfit and he sweeps into the forest of Nottingham. And he comes and he fights the bad guys and he shoots the arrows and he does all this stuff and he rescues the woman whom he loves. And then after that, he doesn't take her to live happily ever after right away, because they can't, because now they're escaping back through the garden. And this is the life that we live right now. We're going back through the garden and God is saying, we're trying to get there and we're trying to get there and, and he's saying, okay, but to do this, we gotta, you gotta do this and he's instructing us how to get back to where it is that we belong. And then you end the Bible in the book of Revelation with the future house, the future home where we truly will live happily ever after forever. That's the Bible. Every verse of the Bible fits into that story that I just painted. You have God creates man, man is tricked. God prepares man for rescue by the Old Testament, sending the law and the prophets, and then God sweeps down onto the earth through his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to rescue man, and then God heals man and teaches man how to walk until they one day live forever in the kingdom of heaven. And as you see on your on your handout, if you grabbed a handout, is that I said the church, te- in the Bible you cannot separate the two. What I put for every one of the scenes is the prayers that we say in the divine liturgy. And you see, when we say the liturgy, we go through this story of salvation every single time. And we say how God formed us and created us and placed us in the paradise of joy. And then when we disobeyed by the guile of the serpent, we fell from that eternal life. And then he did not abandon us to the end, but visit us by uh, the, by the prophets and sent us the law. And then at the last days, he manifested himself to us who were sitting in darkness. And then he taught us the ways of salvation. He didn't just come down and swoop us up to heaven. No, we have to continue to live in this earth. And he taught us how to live, live as free, live as healed people. And he granted us the birth from on high. And then he will appear to judge the world in righteousness one day. That's the whole Bible every page in here is somewhere in the story and you got to understand the big picture story so that you know when you're reading that you know what section you're in you can't just open the bible and say um i want to learn how to pray and then you open up numbers and it says so and so we got so and so we got so and so that's not going to teach you how to pray you need to know that if you want to learn how to pray jesus gave instruction on that in like scene five Okay, so you go to like the Gospels and scene five and you see he taught us how to live on this earth, how to live a life of prayer. And you want to understand the rules that God gave. So you maybe go to the beginning of Deuteronomy or Genesis or any of these passages that talk about the law. You have to understand where it is in the big picture to be able to appreciate any one section. Every section of the Bible reveals a different stage in the relationship between God and man. The Bible as a whole, think of it as a library. Okay, the Bible, don't think of it now as a book. Think of it as a library. And the entire library has one purpose, God's relationship with man. But not every book speaks about every aspect of God's relationship with man. Logic. You have certain books that speak about Certain aspects, certain that speak about another. And the way I want you to think of it, the best thing that ever happened to me is someone told me this and it changed my way of viewing the Bible entirely. Think of it as man was born in the beginning and that mankind has matured over the ages. So what I mean by that is, you look at it, that at the beginning, mankind, even though Adam may have been an old man or a young man, mankind was an infant. So how do we treat infants when they're born? We treat them by saying, don't touch this, don't touch that. If you do this, I give you a cookie. If you touch that, bad. And that's how God started to deal with man. That's why he gave them the law. And he was saying, don't touch that. Don't touch that. And make sure you definitely don't do that. And he taught them that way. In the beginning, it was, don't touch. Then eventually, after man learned kind of those rules, man got to a stage of a little more maturity, of like adolescence phase. If you look on your handout, you see I put the the breakdown of the Old Testament, New Testament, okay? The law is kind of that infancy phase. After the law came the books of history. And the history is where I would say is like the adolescence phase of mankind where basically what happened is man said, I don't want to live in your house anymore. We want to have our own independence. And man said, we want to have a king. And God said, okay, I'm telling you that you're much better off in my house but you want to have it your own freedom? i let you have freedom. And they started to have kings. And what was the end result of having kings? Very bad. It ended very, very bad for them. This is the adolescent phase. This is the teenage phase where we say, no, we want to be in this kind of stuff. And the parents say, okay, I'm gonna give you a little bit of freedom, but I'm telling you, it's gonna end up hurting you more than it's gonna hurt me. And that's the period of history where when Israel was obeying God, good, but they spent more often than not thinking that they could do it on their own. And the end result of that was their history ended up getting them in captivity. Okay, and they were enslaved by different kingdoms. And then, okay, in the Old Testament, as you see in your handout, we have the law, the history, and then we have poetry and wisdom, okay, which is the book of like Psalms and Proverbs and those kind of books. Important thing to note about those books is they're not chronological. Okay, the Old Testament is chronological and from the law and the history perspective, but then after that, the rest of the books are all over the place. So they're not chronological. So those books of Proverbs and Psalms and Ecclesiastes and and those kinds of books, okay, are nice, okay, meditations or man's relationship with God, but they're not history, all right? And then you see the books of prophecy after that, and that's where we hit the stage of God is saying, now that you realize that you can't live without me, now I'm telling you that I'm going to come, and this is what you need to do to get ready, And God started to lay the foundation. And then after he laid the foundation, we get to the New Testament. You know what the New Testament is? The Gospels? This is now when we're in college. You know why? Because what happens when you go to college? You start to hear stuff that doesn't make any sense. And they start to tell you stuff that doesn't make any sense. And you start to hear things that are very intellectual and and you say, this doesn't make any sense. But eventually, your mind catches up to it. That was when Jesus came. And he said, you heard it was said, don't commit adultery. I'm saying don't look. You heard it was said, don't touch. I'm telling you don't look. You heard it was said, don't murder. I'm telling you, don't get angry. And these things were like, no, I'm going to drop out of this. This is too hard. I can't take this kind of stuff. But eventually, if we stick with it, we understand it, our minds develop, and then we get that college education, and then we're ready to graduate. And our graduated life is the life in the letters, in the history, in the letters, in the prophecy, where now we have graduated, and we understand, and now we are practicing and living as working people. That's it. That's it. That's the entire Bible in a summary. You have to understand the big picture. Once you understand, then you can go in depth in any section and you can see where is it that you fit in this story. But I don't want anyone to walk out of here saying that the Bible is a complicated story. You know who wrote the Bible? Shepherds, fishermen, low-level people wrote the Bible. Some of y'all have degrees, and, and, and like 10 letters after your name, okay, on your business card. You have 10 letters of this degree and this degree. Like you have very educated people. You should tell me very educated people can't understand the words that were written by shepherds and fishermen 2,000 years ago. No, we can. As long as we have an understanding of the big picture, you can understand every piece of scripture no matter where it is. Last thing that I'll say, call to action. I want to challenge every single person to do one thing today. And that one thing is, get a Bible reading plan. Get a plan. I don't care what the plan is, I don't care where you get the plan. Get a plan. Let me tell you what plan not to get. The plan of, I'm gonna read the Bible more. Don't do that. You've tried that plan many times. 90% of this country is on that plan. I'm gonna read more. Just like I'm going to eat healthier and I'm going to exercise more. We're all on the same plan. That plan doesn't work. Get a plan. Get a plan and show me on a piece of paper or an electronic device what you're going to read on Monday, what you're going to read on Tuesday, what you're going to read on Wednesday, a plan. And I don't care what the plan is. I recommend, okay, if you have an app, uh, iPhone or something like that, version, you can download that app and it has a bazillion plans. A New Testament, you say, I want to read the New Testament in 30 days. Or you say, I want to read the Bible in a year. Or you say, I want to read the books of Prophet. I don't care what the plan is. I'm not telling you a specific plan, but choose a plan and get on a plan because you're going to come out of here motivated and you're going to read on Monday and Tuesday. But if you don't got a plan, you're going to trail off on Wednesday and Thursday. All right, so get on a plan to read 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, whatever it is. I promise you that it will bear fruit in your life. Last verse, Isaiah 55, verse 10 through 12. Why do I say that it'll bear fruit? Because that's what scripture says. It says, as the rain comes down, And the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. I don't want to say, I promise you, I want to say, God promises you that his word will not return void. Just as water comes down from heaven and doesn't have no effect, it always has an effect. And I promise you, you get in the word of God and you're consistent with the word of God and you're reading the word of God. It's only a matter of time before you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. Y'all believe me? You don't need to believe me. You need to believe the Bible because the Bible says the word of God gives us that joy and gives us that peace. Watching TV ain't going to give you joy and peace. Hanging out till the wee hours in the morning ain't going to give you joy and peace. Uh, Updating your Facebook status again is not going to give you joy and peace. You want joy and peace? You be consistent in the word of God. All right. Can we say our memory verse one last time? Say it all together. You know why I like to say it together? Because I believe that we memorize not by reading, but by saying. Let's say it all together. Say it with me. Your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Jeremiah 15, 16. Let's stand up and say a prayer together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you don't leave us alone in this world, but you sent us your word to like be a reminder of all that you've done for us, and all that you are doing for us, and all that you plan to do us as well, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand your word and find joy and peace in your word. And not just to read it as empty words on a page, but to read it and find life, find joy, find peace, find the very thing that we're lacking in that deep part of our heart that we can't really put our finger on. But we know, Lord, your word contains the very thing that we need most. So give us like the persistence, the patience to, to fight through the laziness and the not understanding days to read your word and to find that joy and peace that you promised us. Thank you for this message that you gave us today, and thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us, and thank you for this story that you keep reminding us of about you, how much you love us and how can, you came to save us and to heal us and to take us to be with you forever. We pray that you'd accept our supplications and prayers this day in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the intercessions and prayers of all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all very much. Have a great week, and I'll see you all next week.